0: Her name was Janice, and I was in Janice's home about a week after a storm surge, a giant wave, had come crashing into her home, toppling all of her furniture and ruining all of her belongings. I remember her refrigerator in her kitchen was practically upside down amidst the rubble. It was a week after Hurricane Sandy had ravaged the Northeast and the coastline. Janice lived in Far Rockaway, a neighborhood in Queens right on the Atlantic Ocean. And I was in Janice's home along with some other volunteers from our church who just showed up in homes like hers to help. Our job was basically to collect all of her belongings that were now growing mold spores on them, deadly mold spores. Our job was to collect them, to put them into garbage bags and to put them out on the curb so they could be brought to the dump. I remember feeling really sad that day as I looked around at this woman's house, this woman who was grieving the loss of all of her stuff, all of her sentimental attachments to all of these things. And I felt so sad for her and for the whole situation. But something happened that day in Janice's home that honestly changed my life. I was packing up a black garbage bag full of Janice's belongings and I tied it up and I was walking towards the front door when I realized there was someone else walking down the same hallway with me towards that front door, also holding a black garbage bag. It was Janice herself, the owner of the home, and she was singing. That's right, she was singing. Actually, she was singing a praise song that I know. It was called, Here I Am to Worship. Maybe you know the song, Here I Am to Worship, Here I Am to Bow Down, Here I Am to Say that You're My God. I didn't know that Janice was a fellow follower of Jesus Christ until that moment. And we we met right in front of the front door of her house and we looked each other in the eyes with our garbage bags in our hands. And I'll be honest, my eyes were filled with tears as I beheld this saint of the church who chose in the midst of such suffering to praise God. Here I am to worship here in the middle of such devastation. I am to worship? I was so blown away. I'll never forget it. Did you notice in our scripture today, in verse 3, it says, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. It's true there's many other pages of scripture where it says we are to lament, lament, In our sufferings, we're given permission to cry out, to lament. But also on this page of scripture, it says we can rejoice in our sufferings. And it shows us in this scripture what happens to us when we do that and how we can then face opposition. This is something that Janice knew already before I met her. And it's something that I'm learning to this very day. And I hope we can all learn from it a bit together. I believe this is a timely word for us how to rejoice in our sufferings, what happens to us when we do that, when we face sufferings that way, and then how to interact with the opposition that comes our way. The book of Romans was written to a group of people who were facing tremendous opposition. In fact, what they were facing was worse even than a natural disaster coming and crashing into their living rooms. What they were facing was actual opposition. They were facing persecution. They were facing enemies who would come to destroy them just for believing in Jesus Christ. And to those people, it says rejoice in our sufferings. The end of verse two, you know, it says we rejoice in the Hope of the glory of God, that's obvious. We rejoice in hope of glory, praise the Lord. But then in verse three, it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. All kinds of sufferings. Sufferings that come from natural disaster, suffering that comes from disease, suffering even that comes from persecution against the church. So let's find out together, church, what happens to us when we do that and then how to face opposition when it comes. Let's continue in verse three. It says, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, this is beginning to describe for us that suffering for the Christian isn't wasted. It actually produces something in us says it's suffering, we learn to rejoice in our sufferings because it begins to produce something in us. The first thing it says here that is produced in us when we suffer as a Christian is endurance. Endurance is produced in us when we suffer. This is something I've really been learning lately, personally. You know, I think I used to think of endurance as like the marathon runner at the starting line Just picturing mile 26, picturing the finish line tape, and just powering through all the way until mile 26. I used to think of endurance as being given like a 10-year assignment and just picturing year 10 and powering through, white-knuckling your way through all the way until that 10th year comes along. But I'm realizing lately that endurance isn't really like that. Endurance isn't focused on the finish line. Endurance isn't focused on the 10-year deadline or whatever the assignment is. No, endurance comes minute by minute. Endurance comes hour by hour. I was going through a hard time a little while ago, and I was sitting in my church office, and I was saying, Lord, I need you. And then that, that hymn started coming into my mind. Maybe you know the hymn, Lord, I need thee every hour. I need thee and i happened to look at the clock in that moment and i i had this idea that I would pray every hour, Lord, I need thee, every hour I need thee. So I took some scotch tape and I printed out the lyrics to that song. I've got a picture of it here for you. This is the clock in my office at church. So that every time I look at the clock, I'm reminded that I need God this hour. I need God this minute. I need him to sustain me through whatever it is that I'm facing. You see, that's how endurance comes. Because in this hour, if I say, Lord, I need you this hour. And if I pray that again in the next hour, pretty soon God has strung together a, a number of hours and even days. And pretty soon I'm enduring through hardship. It doesn't come through me white knuckling my way all the way to the end. No, it comes minute by minute, hour by hour saying, Lord, I need thee. I need what you have to provide for me right now in this moment. That's the kind of endurance that comes for the Christian through suffering. And when we endure in that way, it produces, notice the next thing, it produces character. This is a good thing for us to focus on in this moment because we could really use some godly character in our community. Now, more than ever, at least in my lifetime, we need good character to show up. And I love the progression here. Endurance produces character. The kind of endurance that I've just described where we say, I need thee every hour. That produces godly character because just as we depend on him hour by hour, we need him to fill us up with his character. Because when we suffer, when we face opposition, when hardship comes our way, it can feel like we've been gutted. It can feel like we've been emptied out. And we're kind of left to our own sinful instincts and we respond in our flesh through our emptiness. But look at the promise in verse 5 of what happens to us when we feel empty. Verse 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we feel empty, when we feel gutted by suffering, by opposition, God says, I'll fill that empty space. With my love, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And this produces character in us because if it's just up to me, if it's just up to my fleshly instincts, my character will probably be pretty rotten. But if it's the Holy Spirit filling me with God's love, I begin to embody then the very character of Christ, you see. When his Holy Spirit indwells me, I begin to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I begin to operate in this world like Jesus would operate. I need the every hour to sustain me through the hour. I need you to fill me when I feel empty so that through your Holy Spirit, through the very Spirit of Christ dwelling in me, I might operate like Jesus. I might love like Jesus. I might teach like Jesus. Jesus. I might care like Jesus. I might heal like Jesus. I might forgive like Jesus. And pretty soon, hour by hour, I'm becoming more and more like Christ. And it's his character now shining through my life. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. You see, when I have this kind of character, when it's the character of Jesus filling me through the Holy Spirit's love poured into my hearts, now I begin to hope in the future because whereas before I was empty, I was an empty shell, I was operating in my own instincts, I was trying to white knuckle my way to the very end, I get exhausted with that mode of operation. But when it's God sustaining me every hour, when it's the Holy Spirit filling my heart, now I begin having hope in the future because... Of the promise of scripture, where it says, he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it in me. It's his work. He sustains me by the hour. He fills me with his Holy Spirit. And he will bring this to the conclusion that he desires. That gives me hope, see. Isn't it wonderful to think about suffering in this way? to understand it like Janice did in her home on that day, not to cry out, why me, oh God? Why would this happen to me? But to sing, to say, here I am to worship. She understood something. She understood Romans chapter five, that for the Christ follower, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. And we brim with hope, even in the face of suffering, even in the face of opposition, even when enemies natural disasters, or human beings come our way. It's wonderful what God does in us through suffering. Okay, so that's what he does in us. Maybe you're thinking that sounds great, but what about that opposition? What about those enemies out there? Those early Christians, you know, they still had their enemies to face. They woke up the next morning after realizing how wonderful it is that they can rejoice even through suffering. But they had to wake up the next day and those enemies were still there. How do we deal with them? How do we deal with opposition? Well, I'm glad you asked because it begins to describe for us this concept of enemies. Look with me at verse 10. It says, for if, well, we were enemies, we were reconciled, To God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life while we were enemies. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought we were just going to talk about those enemies out there. How do we face those enemies of Christianity? How do we face those opposition people in my life? How do I face the hardship that comes externally? But then it went to verse 10 and it says, We were enemies. I love this. I love Paul's progression here. I love his, his logic, the way he brings us into this deeper, better spiritual understanding. It's, as almost, it's almost as if he's saying, okay, you want to talk about enemies? I get that. We'll talk about that in a few chapters, how to face those enemies out there. But before we do that, let's be clear about something. We were enemies, enemies of God. That's what he's suggesting here. We were enemies Of God because of our sin. Now I have to explain that that might be a new concept for some enemies. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? We think of sin often as simply making mistakes. I made a mistake. It's because of my sin. I'm an imperfect person. I'm sorry. But sin is actually much worse than that. Sin makes us an enemy of God. Think about it this way. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were given one law. God said, You can eat of any tree in the whole garden, except for this one. It is my will. It is my law that you don't eat of this one. And Adam and Eve came along and they said, yeah, but we kind of want to do it our way. We want to go against your will. And their will was opposed then to the will of God. That's what sin basically does. Now think about that with me. Two parties whose wills are opposed to one another. That's the basic definition of an enemy. My will as opposed to this person's will and their will as opposed to mine, we're enemies. And we begin to fight over whatever it is, territory or an idea or an argument. Our wills are opposed to one another. That's actually what sin has done to us. It has made us enemies of God. We have to recognize that first before we begin to deal with the enemies out there because it shows us in here what God has did for us while we were enemies. Verse 10 again. We were, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. He fleshes it out even more in verse eight. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You see what this is showing us here is that because of sin, we're enemies with God. And while we're enemies, while we were still enemies, while our wills were opposed to the will of God, God could have unleashed his righteous wrath upon us. That's what enemies do. They unleash their wrath upon each other to try to get their opposing will to disappear. God could have said, you're an enemy with God, now taste my wrath. But in his grace, he said, I will take the wrath upon myself. And he did that. On the cross, Jesus Christ received the punishment, the wrath that all of us deserve because we were in an enemy status with God. Jesus said, I will take the punishment so that there can be reconciliation so that we no longer need to be enemies. So before we talk about the enemies out there, the apostle Paul wants us to be clear. Firstly, recognize we were enemies with God because of our sin. Now ask, how did God treat us? When we were the enemies, before we learn how to deal with the enemies out there, first recognize what God did for us, when we were enemies, what did he do? He blessed us. He didn't curse us. He blessed us. He forgave us. He didn't unleash his wrath. He reconciled. Sacrificially to his own life, he brought us in to change our status from enemy to reconciled. Okay. Okay. Know that. That's the gospel, by the way. That's the good news of the whole Christian faith. That's the core of the message that God didn't hold our sins against us, but sacrificially died so that we can be reconciled to him while we were enemies. Know that. Let the coin drop in your heart on that. That that's happened for you. It's happened for me. He brought us in though we were enemies. Now we can ask the question, how do we face enemies? when people or situations come against us, when their wills are opposed to ours, how do we treat them? Do we take up arms against them? Do we try to conquer them? Well, just a few chapters later, in Romans 12, Paul actually gives a prescription of how we are to treat those who persecute us, those who come against us. I'm just going to read a few verses. Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 14. Before I do, I'm going to stop and pray because I recognize even in my own flesh and I see in the lives of many other Christians that this is really hard. This is really hard to accept. This prescription I'm about to read of how we're supposed to treat people who oppose us, it's it's contrary to the way our fleshly instincts would, would want. So let me pray that the Holy Spirit would soften our hearts and we would actually receive this. Holy Spirit, we've just read about the promise that you would pour God's love into our hearts. I pray now as I read these words, this prescription of how to interact with our persecutors, those who oppose us, our enemies. I ask that you would soften our hearts, open our our minds, open our lives. Fill us with the character of Christ. Amen. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but... Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Hmm. I realize it's possible you've just heard those words. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Feed them. It's possible you heard that and you thought, that sounds pretty weak. Maybe you're thinking right now, you know, pastor, you're a little naive. You don't know how bad it is out there. You don't know how bad it can get. If you thought that while I read those words, if you think that now, just want you to consider something for a moment. The people who heard these words, firstly, the Christians in Rome, they actually followed this prescription. They turned the other cheek. They laid down their lives when they were being martyred. We saw it last week in the stoning of Stephen. He praised, he worshipped, he saw Jesus on his throne. Even while he was being killed, This little group of Christians in Rome, many years ago, they followed this prescription. They actually did what it said in here. And this little group began to grow. And it grew some more. And then it kept growing, and it kept growing, and it actually keeps growing to this day. It actually became the largest movement in the History of the world today, 2.4 billion people belong to the movement that was started by this group of people blessing those who cursed them. That doesn't sound weak. To me, when we are weak, he is strong. When we depend on him hour by hour, he brings us through. He gives us endurance. When we say, fill us, God, when we feel gutted, when we feel emptied, fill us by your Holy Spirit, give us the character of Christ. He does that in us and we begin operating like Jesus Christ. And this movement grows and it grows and it grows to this day and it actually blesses the world. It changes the world. Janice changed my world that day in her living room when she sang in the midst of hardship in the midst of suffering and that's how we salt and flavor and make better this world by following Christ by following this prescription not through violence not through opposition of our own but by blessing even those who persecute us we have to come home to this truth sometimes over and over again this truth that's contrary to what our flesh would desire Our flesh desires wrath. Our flesh desires vengeance. But the Holy Spirit filling us says, no. Follow the way of Christ. That's how we change the world. Come, Lord Jesus, fill us afresh. Show us the way. Amen.